0: This week on Myths and Legends, it's a tried-and-true formula. A talking dog that leads you into terrifying, dangerous situations. So, basically, Scooby-Doo with substantially more murder. Also, giant dads that collect human action figures. The creature this week is a little mouse deer whose adorable dancing leads to moral conundrums. This is Myths and Legends, episode 357, Dog Days. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are tales that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in Icelandic folklore, by way of 19th-century English writer Lenora Lang, who apparently did all the work translating and writing what would come to be known as Andrew Lang's, her husband's, fairy books what he's best known for today. As for this story, the history is cloudy. There are absolutely saga elements to it, and the character does take a trip to Jotunheim. But this definitely tends more toward folk or fairy tale, not being tied to history like a legend or religion like a myth. We'll jump in with Prince Ring, who has just gone hunting in an actual dark forest. This isn't normal on a hunt, right? Prince Ring started to say before he got a mouthful of tree branch. Again. Prince Ring, I know you're less fond of adventures than men of rank usually are in these days, and you're not famous for strength or feats of arms, but no, this is not normal on a hunt, his father's huntsman said. Okay, you don't have to start every sentence with that. I know I'm new at this, Prince Ring said, but it was nice to know that... Even by medieval hunt standards, this was a little weird. It was. They were out chasing a hind, a deer, and after they ran their horses so hard that the animals gave out beneath them, the forest became a literal dark forest, getting so black that they couldn't see five feet in front of them. Uh, Prince Ring, I know you're less fond of adventures than men of rank usually are in these days, and you're not famous for strength or feet of arms, the huntsman said so we should head back without the hind. There's obviously some magic at play in these woods, and I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because you're so fragile. Follow me. Prince Ring seethed, but silently. Frankly, he was a little scared of the forest, and he knew he was out of his depth. He took a deep breath and turned. All right, let's go, huntsman. Prince Ring stood there. The huntsman and his servants... No one could see anything. They they probably thought the prince was with them. Probably the first thing you want to do in this situation is stay calm. Don't panic. Since Prince Rang, remember, was less fond of adventures and was not famous for strength or feats of arms, well, he chose the extremely popular, but objectively less effective method of extreme panic. Running around frantically, shrieking wildly, and, in a way, it worked. Soon, the bleakness began to dissipate. The mid-afternoon sun shined again, and the prince was free of the labyrinthian darkness. He emerged into a clearing, finding a woman sitting next to a barrel. His hand went to his sword, but the woman held up her palms. She was a huntress, and from the look of Prince Ring, he had just come out of it too. (sighs) That forest was messed up, right? Prince Ring relaxed. Yeah, what was that? It was on the nose is what it was. Like, really? She shook her head. She didn't know what the point of that was, but she figured this barrel had something to do with it. She waved the prince over. A barrel? Look, nothing here really makes sense, but look inside. The woman pointed inside the barrel to a... a ring. The only thing resting on the bottom of the rough wood in the center of the barrel was a single ring. That's a nice ring, the prince stepped back. She had been trying to get it for almost an hour, but without any luck. With a smile, the prince's hands found the metallic edge of the barrel's lid, and he gave it a shove. It didn't move. It was stuck to the ground. His boot gave it a sharp kick, but the only result was a shockwave that resounded up to his hips. What in the world? Yeah, I already tried to tip it, the woman said. "'It's not that deep,' the prince said. Laughing, the woman said, "'Sure, it seemed that way, didn't it?' He reached for the bottom of the barrel, and, when he should have hit it, it was still an inch or two out of reach. He stretched the last few inches, and it was still an inch or two away. He got out of the barrel. Felt the edges. Sturdy. Okay. He threw his torso over the edge, hinging on his pelvis, and he strained for the ring, but still it was out of reach. Then he felt it. Not the ring, but hands gripping his ankles. He tried to kick, but it was too late. The woman outside flung his legs into the air, and he tipped into the barrel. He fell into darkness. Eventually, he did hit the bottom, his face scraping on the splinters of the wood and the ring bruising his forehead. He struggled to his feet and looked up, toward the circle of light that seemed like it was 30, 40 meters above him. I am sorry about this. I wouldn't wish this fate on anyone, but you simply cannot live, the woman said, before the circle of light disappeared to the sounds of hammering. He was on the sea. The prince could feel it. He had only been in a boat once or twice to accompany his father and visits to other kings, but it's not a feeling you forget. His room tossed and tumbled at first before Bobbing gave way to the ceaseless sweep of the water. At an hour he began to worry. He tried to find the edges of the barrel, but no matter how far he walked, they must be just beyond his reach. He returned to what he thought was the center, but it didn't matter. After a day, he began to despair. He had a water skin on him, and daring only to take a few sips at a time, that ran out after what felt like a week. As he laid down and felt the rolling of the waves, he knew that he would die in this barrel. Then a thud, and the room stopped. The prince rolled, but he didn't have a chance to roll far. With a whoosh, the walls found him. The barrel became normal barrel-sized, and the prince felt like it was going to crush him. He kicked out against the bottom, and with a few sharp blows, the wood splintered. A few more, and water flooded in. Oh, after many more panicked kicks and some bloody knuckles, the prince emerged from the scraps of the barrel, panting and, frankly, a little happy for the bath. He had been in that barrel for a week, and his bathroom corner had come rushing to meet him when the barrel shrunk. He rose and started walking through the wild, beautiful, mysterious land. A giant was coming. Prince Ring wasn't in Midgard anymore. Do you fight or run? Do you try to flap out your cloak and scare it into thinking you were bigger than you were? No, that was bears. Play dead. That's it. As Ring ragdolled to the ground, he realized that that was also bears. Still, nothing he could do about it now. And according to the text, this is exactly what Ring did. He dropped to the ground and played dead. The giant, dragging a sledge full of wood slowed, looked at the human, picked him up, gave him a quick smell and, with a shrug, tossed him back on the wood. He was going to take the human home. Yeah, I found this human, the giant said when he returned home. The woman glanced outside. Wow, human, exotic, where was he from? Midgard, probably, not sure where. Probably from one of like five or six countries we recognize as existing at this time the giant husband said. Looks like he's dead, though. <laughs> you and your dolls, the wife chided. Action figures, the husband barked. He would just play with it until it started to rot and then toss it on the old corpse pile. Not a doll, not a doll, little Prince Ring called out. The giant family turned to see a ring on the wood pile, waving his hands. He was a living human. He was just plain dead, so the giant passed him up. That's, that's bears, the wife said. The husband nodded. Well, it obviously didn't work. Don't, please don't kill me, Ring pleaded. The giant said, why would they kill him? The poor little baby out there all alone in the world with his little poopy pants. Ring said he didn't, okay, he looked down he did actually have poopy pants. Once again, his bathroom corner had rushed to meet him, but that was another thing. Just because he was small didn't mean that he was a baby but he would actually take a change of clothes if they had one, and oh, a onesie. Fantastic. Ring stayed with the giants who, yes, thinking him a baby, raised him as one of their own. Ring was actually pretty cool with it. His own father had been distant and disappointed, so he relished this second family among the Jotnar, the giants of Giantland or Jotunheim. He did ask how to get home from time to time, but the Yatnar only said that such big plans didn't concern little babies and that he should settle in for his nap, which he did because he knew what everyone over the age of about 15 knows that naps actually rule. There was one question he had, one area where he felt like the Yatnar might be holding out on him. He was allowed to go anywhere, but there was a room in the house. In the cellar, there was a door in the darkness. He was allowed into every room except that one. Well, one day while the mother was out with the girls and the father was tending to the garden, little baby ring slipped down to the cellar, certain it was going to be a bluebeard situation, aka a room full of corpses. It wasn't, but it was super spooky. Maybe because he was pretending to be a baby, probably because it was actually legitimately scary, but after he struggled to open the door on not one, but two separate occasions, he immediately shut it again when a big, dark shape moved in the room. Maybe wanting to be brave, maybe extremely bored, Prince Ring willed himself to stand in the presence of the creature, and a big, black dog emerged from the darkness. It was like Irish wolfhound big. And Prince Ring held out a hand for it to smell. Choose me, the dog said. The Prince Ring staggered back, wait, he can talk? Yes, what was the point of that question when you just heard me talk? Also, more importantly, choose me, the dog said. Okay, but how can you talk? Is that something dogs do in Jotunheim? The dog said that the prince was hung up on the wrong part of this. He needed to choose the dog. Did he understand? Prince Ring said, Yeah, but great. Bye bye. Oh, pop quiz. Who do you choose? The dog asked, as he pushed Ring out of the room with his muzzle. Me. No, you, Ring said. The dog said uh, okay. B plus. Ring still didn't know what that meant, but apparently it did not matter. Ring almost forgot about it too, as the months passed and his giant family helped him to speed run through the infant, toddler, and childhood years. Eventually, His dad said that he was just about finished chiseling his stone boat, which was actually a thing that would, in fact, float. The dad gestured out on the ocean. The time had come for their little baby to go live among his own people, but he didn't want Ring to leave empty-handed. He could ask for one thing of his giant parents, make one choice of a thing to choose from their house. Choose wisely. Ring, remembering there was a choice he was supposed to choose... His eyes widened. Ah, he chose the dog. Mm, the whatever was behind the door in the cellar, the one he was not allowed to go in. The dad frowed his brow. Ring wanted the corpses? The giant mother whispered in his ear. Oh, that's right, they clean those up. The dog. Oh, that... Mm, that'll cause problems, but an oath is an oath. And he would make good on the promise to his tiny son. When the giant emerged from the cellar, with the dog on the leash, he shook his head. That room was not usable anymore. No one told him dogs needed to go outside to go to the bathroom. I told you that, the dog said, constantly. I, I thought you were just trying to escape, the giant said, handing the leash to Ring. Of course I was trying to escape, but I still had to go outside. The giant led Ring and the dog to the stone boat that he had showed Ring earlier. And after the giant and the dog boarded, Ring followed, surprised that it didn't sink, well, like a stone. The giant rode in silence, and while Ring wasn't exactly sure when they passed through the separation between the worlds, he knew that he was back in Midgard, our world, by the look of the forest and the sun. The giant told him that, as their son, he would have claim to their island in Jotunheim soon. Ring said he didn't know how to get there. Besides, it was their island. Jotnar lived a long time, right? The giant held up two fingers and made a sad smile. Two weeks. In two weeks' time, the son of Odin would come for them. Thor would massacre their whole village. Ring said the giant was awful calm. If they somehow knew Thor was coming, they could stop him, fight him. The giant laughed. Trying to change the future was Odin's folly. The future was the future. It's as immutable as the past. They had seen the end, though. After the ice and fire, there would finally be peace. Ring was struck. He didn't say anything as the giant rowed away in his stone boat, but knew, somehow, that the giant was right he would never see his Jotun dad again. We'll see where the dog leads ring, but that will, but that will be right after this. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. And by easy, I mean doable, manageable, take your pick. Factor is all of those things.
1: Wherever tomorrow takes us, we are ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to our door. And when you let Factor help out with meals too, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and a whole lot more.
0: And let's not forget the over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons Factor offers, like their protein shakes and smoothies.
1: There's nothing better than grabbing a strawberry banana smoothie from the fridge on the way out the door, knowing I've got my fruit, my fiber, my protein, all as I'm driving.
0: Oh, it's so good. Factor gives us no prep and no mess meals that are 100% ready to heat and eat with the variety we like and the flavors we crave.
1: It's less expensive than takeout as well and unlike takeout, every Factor meal is dietitian approved.
0: From breakfast to quick lunches to dinner on busy nights, even snacks in between, Factor has us covered. It is totally worth it to try and you can. Head to factormeals.com legends50 and use code legends50 to get 50% off.
1: That's code legends50 at Factor. Actormeals.com slash legends50 to get 50% off.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
1: We mentioned a few weeks ago that when we think of relationships, ours comes to mind. There's also relationships we have, though, with family at large.
0: A son, a father, a brother, a cousin.
1: Sometimes these relationships need a little work to make them stronger or healthy.
0: Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges we face, and we all face them from time to time in our connections whether it's extended family or friends or coworkers,
1: We will be the first to tell you that therapy works. You're talking with someone who wants to help you grow and is equipped with tools they can teach you how to use.
0: Like how to sort out what you're really feeling, how to speak the truth with kindness, how to break cycles if that's necessary.
1: It can take time.
0: And it takes effort but that's why you do therapy with a licensed therapist.
1: And if you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll give it a go, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, so there's no commute, no waiting room. It's just your moment in your schedule. Step one is filling out a brief questionnaire online to get matched with a licensed therapist. And from there, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge.
0: Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com myths today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash myths. Ring walked with the dog for a long while, stealing a glance every now and then. The dog looked up at him. You're not very smart, are you? The dog asked. Ring said, first, mean. Second, why would the dog say that? Well, Ring obviously was not very curious. He hadn't even asked the dog's name. I'll have you know that I'm very curious. I'm just afraid of you, Ring said. Wasn't this every kid's dream? A talking dog? The dog didn't understand. Yeah, we want our childhood pet dogs to talk. Dogs we know and trust. You're like some hairy man I met in my friend's basement who coerced me into bringing him on a road trip. I don't even know you. His dog bobbed his head. Fair enough. Eventually, groaning, Ring asked, Okay, what was the dog's name? You can call me Snotty Snotty, the dog said with a smile, before realizing that he was just baring his teeth around the kid who was already uncomfortable around him, and probably making things worse. It was nearly nightfall when the dog gestured forward with his muzzle. Also, as far as I can tell, Snati seems to be a popular dog name in Iceland. My guess is that it's something similar to Rover or Spot, and, and thanks to everyone on Mastodon for helping me out with the pronunciation. I hope I got it correct. Anyway, they were approaching a wooden stake fence. They had nearly made it to the longhouse of a local king. Prince Ring was to see if he could stay the winter with the king, and get a little room for both of them. Snati couldn't sleep in the main room with the others. It was an easy ask. Ring was a prince and the king was smart, knowing that it was better to have allies for nothing than to make enemies needlessly. He didn't know just how much he would get along with the young man. Unfortunately, Ring upset the order of things when he arrived in court, and another young man, named Red, became jealous. I mean, kind of rightfully so. Ring was the new favorite of the king when he had done absolutely nothing to earn it, other than to be a good friend and generous with his time and encouragement. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Well, Red had a plan for dealing with Ring, and his little dog, too. It involved chopping wood, and not even murdery chopping either, just chopping chopping. I don't know why I'm getting progressively angrier as I say that, because it was a competition to see who could chop the most wood in a day. The king, who was happy for the woods, said, sure, why not? It was weird when Ring asked for two axes, but the king was happy to grant them, and Red didn't see how it was a problem, not hearing the dog whisper for Ring to get them. He might not have needed the extra axe, though, because in the end, his pile was over twice as large as Red's. With, yes, Snotty having helped him chop wood. Ox? uh, Wait, oxen? Ring asked. The king wanted him to kill and flay two oxen in one day? bringing back the hide and horns by nightfall? The king said it was Red's idea. He said that since it was winter, they couldn't really send people out to fight, and killing an ox was pretty close to killing a viking. Big and muscly, hairy and weird places, horned helmets. Vikings did not wear horned helmets, Snotty blurted out loud before his dog eyes widened. The king looked at Ring, uh, What? Ring said Vikings didn't wear horned helmets? He looked at Snotty, who nodded. It was an historical misconception? Okay, well, it was Red's words, so I'll pass along your correction, the king said. But Ring said, yeah, killing an ox was not a big deal at all. He would do it tomorrow. It maybe was a big deal. By the amount of mustache twirling and hand rubbing Red was doing, coupled with all the people asking Ring if they could have his stuff when he met his violent, inevitable end the following day. Well, he should have guessed that something was up and that this was a trap. He didn't though, because for all his posturing with Snotty, Ring really was not all that curious. Okay, so those guys were kind of tough. They were straight-up bulls, Ring said, limping back to the longhouse that night. The king clapped and Red couldn't believe what he was seeing. Those oxen were like something out of the labors of Hercules, but there were two of them. Yeah, my dog told me to go with the smaller one and he would take the bigger one. Ring paused, is what he would say if his dog could talk, which he couldn't. The king said, well, unless he got distracted before the end of the sentence, he saw no reason why Ring shouldn't be a noble in his kingdom and wait. Why did Red look so sad? The king said to Red, who was really playing it up, to try to get the king's attention. Red said that, oh, it was nothing. The king should just keep enjoying himself and not remember the gold cloak, the golden chessboard, and the golden chess piece that he lost last year. Well, now I'm thinking about it, the king cried. Oh, man, he loved that chessboard. Red gasped. He had an idea that just came to him at this time and definitely wasn't a contingency plan he had in place. This kid, this ring, he could seemingly do anything. If the king sent ring in search of these things, maybe he could find them. The king said, well, uh, I, I Christmas was coming up, and he would really like to get those back. He looked to Ring. Okay, here's the deal. If Ring was able to bring back the piece, the board, and the cloak by Christmas, then he could marry the princess. Rounds like a right wheel. I, Prince Ring, agree. scooby doo Uh, why did you do that in a Scooby-Doo voice? the king looked at Ring. Ring said that he was just wacky and zany like that. He glared at Snotty and said that he just wished he realized he was going to do that sooner so he could have been ready. The dog shrugged. But yes, uh, Ring said that he accepted. Salt. Why do we need to go around town asking for salt? Snotty, the dog, said he wasn't trying to tell Ring how to do his job, but did Ring have any idea how to do this job? Ring shook his head. Okay, then maybe stop asking questions and just get the salt. I would do it, but things get really self-referential when people meet a talking dog. They're all like, Hey, are you a talking dog? I can't believe I'm talking to a dog. Everybody look, it's a talking dog. And they completely ignore what I'm asking, Snotty observed. Uh, Like our first conversation, Ring beamed, and then his smile faded. Oh, like he was doing it now, wasn't he? Okay, he would go get the salt. This took a couple of days, because asking the common people to chip in some of their super valuable salt so the rich king could find the golden items he misplaced was kind of a big ask. But they got the salt, and by the end of the week, set out to look for the items. Salt bag cinched around his back. Snotty, the talking dog, revealed that the items hadn't been merely misplaced. They had been stolen by a witch troll or a troll witch. Oh, see, I thought we were just going to be looking through couch cushions and sorting stuff in attics. That, this just got a lot more dangerous. After a few hours of walking, Ring craned his neck looking up at the sheer rock wall that stretched to the sky. And it got a lot more difficult. He had to scale a cliff? Nope. Hold on, Snotty said, sinking his claws into solid rock. Um, Ring said, What? Let's go. It's almost Christmas Eve and we don't have time, Snotty growled. It's just, really? You're going to climb up a cliff face while I hold on to your tail? This isn't, Getting a little bit ridiculous? The dog exhaled. Ring got the talking dog after he stayed with giants in another world after riding in a TARDIS barrel, and this, this, was where he was drawing the line when it came to realism? Fair enough. Ring looped the tail around his wrist, gripped with both hands, and Snotty started to climb. And Ring barely made it. When they crested the top, Ring fainted. He was fine. Granted, it's not like Ring was tied in with a belay at the bottom. He was clinging to a wolf's tail. Still, when compared to the creature literally clawing them up the mountain, Ring does come off as a little bit weak. When Ring came to, they saw the journey ahead of them. A long plain with, at the end, more mountains. They wouldn't be climbing those mountains, though. They would be going underneath them, into the caves. Trolls. Ring whispered when he spotted the trolls lounging around the simmering pot of milk and oats down in the caves. I need you to go in there and empty the salt into the pot of porridge, Snotty whispered. He would do it, but he didn't have thumbs. Also, it would be nice if Ring pulled his weight after Snotty quite literally pulled his weight up a cliff. Ring slipped down past the sleeping trolls and dropped the salt into the proto-porridge. Snotty and Ring watched on the craggy ledge for the trolls to wake up. So we did a road trip around England and Wales last year to do some research for the book. And I weirdly fell in love with porridge ever since I've been working on perfecting my recipe. So I understand the witch's frustration when she woke up to, essentially, a bubbling cauldron of salty milk. I got milk by witchcraft from Four Kingdoms! The witch slammed her fists down on the table. Her troll daughter looked at her. Oh wait. You, a witch, got your milk by witchcraft? Really, how unexpected. You using witchcraft, you say. What a strange and unforeseen turn of events. Wow, what a world. The mom witch said congrats. She had just earned herself water duty. The mother preferred her porridge with milk, but that apparently couldn't be helped now. There's some people who say that true porridge is made with only water, the daughter said. The mom said, okay, whatever, save it for Reddit. Just go get the water. No, the troll daughter said. The witch groaned. She was hungry. She didn't feel like doing this. Just go. I want the gold chess piece. The daughter held out her hand. Why? The troll witch mom demanded. But the troll teen only grasped at the air. She wanted to hold it as a reward for doing her chores. The mom said she didn't get a reward for doing her chores. They're just her cho- Okay, you know what? She didn't have time for this. Sure. Here. Now go get the water. The troll daughter left and, up in the rocks above, Ring and Snotty left after her. We'll see how hard it is to kill a troll teen. Spoiler alert, not very. But that will, once again, be right after this. I feel like this is wrong, Ring said, his hand gripping the back of the teen troll girl's neck as they held her underwater. I know what you mean. Really, I do. But this saves us so much of a headache. Like, maybe actual concussions, Snotty said, as he weighed down the girl's back. But you said she was going to be all right, Ring asked. Snotty said yes, of course, she's a troll. And then paused as the girl went limp. Well, that depends on what Ring's thoughts in the afterlife were. Ring felt bad about it, but admittedly, he did not want to fight a troll. And since talking to her to get the peace, or... Just not trying to marry the princess apparently weren't options. This was his only option. It was also the only option regarding her brother with the golden cloak and their old troll dad with the golden chessboard. Well, uh, they had everything, they said, as they nudged the old troll dad's body into the river, watching it float away. Should they go? Snotty looked toward the cave Mm, they should really finish the job. So many stories from Icelandic folklore involved trolls coming after people who killed their family members. It was truly not worth the hassle, and it would be pretty quick. No iron could cut the mob, so they would just have to pour boiling porridge on her and then stab her with a red-hot iron. Ring groaned, yeah, okay, he... But then, right in front of them... A shimmering specter began to take form. It was the ghost of the old troll. He pointed at Ring and Snati. They killed him. He would have his vengeance from beyond the grave. He reached out and Snati bit his arm. Ring leapt up, looping his arm around the ghost's neck and getting him in a chokehold. The ghost struggled, but they had him. Are ghosts weak? Ring asked, "I have no idea. This is my first time seeing a ghost." Snotty said before biting the ghost again. "Okay, like what? What are the rules? What should we do with him?" Ring said, before looking to the river. "Should we drown him again?" "Wait, no, no, no!" the ghost of the old troll said, as the pair dragged him to the river, forced his head under, and yeah, he drowned again. His spirit dissipated, and he was gone. Okay, I don't know why that worked, but I'm glad it did, Ring said. And all of this is in the original. I also don't know why it worked, but it's fun to have a ghost attack. None of them really understand the rules, even the ghost, and then have the ghost die again in the exact same way. It's ridiculous and confusing, but the right amount of ridiculous and confusing. I don't feel good about that, Ring said, looking at the body of the troll witch, which was little more than ash and porridge and porridge ash. Snotty had warned him that, if the witch got out of the cave, there would be no stopping her. So they very bravely poured boiling, salty porridge on her while she wasn't looking. Ring did the pouring, Snotty did the stabbing, and after a good amount of fire... The threat that was definitely a threat and not a woman waiting in vain for her family to return was neutralized. They raided her cave for gold, belayed down the cliff, and made their way to the king's longhouse. Ring presented the lost chess piece, board and cloak to the king. And since it was the Middle Ages and they didn't believe in long engagements because they didn't live long lives, Ring married the princess that very night. Hey... Can I sleep at the foot of your bed tonight? Snotty asked. Ring cocked his head. Um, okay, how to explain this? On a wedding night, you kind of owe me, Snotty interrupted. He wasn't wrong, but that didn't make it any less weird. Ring gave a fake yawn with his new wife and said, Oh, golly gee, adventuring sure made him tired and not feeling like anything else. Definitely because there wasn't someone else in the room that would be watching them. The wife said it. if he wasn't feeling like it, it was fine, but there was someone else in the room she needed to... "'Great night, dear!' Ring cried, blew out the lantern, and threw the blanket over his head, leaving just the fire crackling in the corner of the room. It was an eventful night. Ring and the princess awoke to a struggle, and then a howl, and then a man. "'Hi, Ring.' the young man sitting at the foot of their bed said. Both Ring and his wife sat up. Um, hi, where was Snotty? Snotty is gone. The man gestured to the cut-up ball of dog fur on the floor. Ring scrambled to his sword and then the man laughed. Oh, no, 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 sorry, that was a bad way to phrase that I was Snotty. Ring, it's me. Also Ring. It was a long story. He too was a prince, but As happens, his newly widowed dad married a witch. She cursed Ring, dog Ring, or snotty, to be a dog, unless he was able to sleep at the foot of the bed of a prince with the same name of him on said prince's wedding night. It was a complicated set of conditions, and there was only one unmarried prince named Ring in the world, and she, the witch, took steps to ensure that he was lost at sea. She did not anticipate him bumping up on the edges of Jotunheim, though, with the family fated to be destroyed by Thor. Snotty had guided him to the present kingdom, and the princess, even destroying his stepmother, a few nights ago in the cave. Ring, the protagonist Ring, laughed well, now he felt less bad about sneaking up on her in a cave, and killing her with boiling porridge. His wife glanced at him with confusion, um, he meant courageously slaying her with bravery. Ring, Snotty, stoked the fire, and toss the dog skin in, and as the flames flared, Ring, the protagonist Ring, saw the severed hand on his bed, Ah, you're welcome, Ring Snotty said, the next day, Red, remember the, uh, you know, annoying bad guy in the court, tried to bring a case against Ring for attacking him, and cutting off his hand, His accusation quickly fell apart when he admitted that Ring, or someone in Ring's room, had attacked him while he was trying to murder Ring in his sleep. The king hanged Red, ostensibly for the assassination attempt, but also because Red was... a lot. Ring embraced his best friend, and Snotty said he would go. He wanted... There was a wide world to see, and he was a person again. Ring asked him to stop by Ring's father's kingdom and tell him what happened to his son who disappeared in the dark forest. And Ring Snati agreed. He did not make it past Ring's kingdom. He and protagonist Ring's sister, Ingeborg, fell in love. And he stayed, eventually ruling the kingdom by her side. The friends became family. So, at its end, the moral of the story of Snati and Ring is, if your dog starts talking to you, telling you to do dangerous things, Listen to a mental health professional. That is not a normal thing that should happen. Next week, it's the Monkey King, and things heat up for our crew because someone caught a mountain on fire, and it will liquefy Shuanzong the monk, if he tries to keep going west. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership on the site and on Apple Podcasts. For less than the price of drinkable glitter, glitter that's apparently non-toxic, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that won't glitter bomb your large intestine. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership for more info, or find our show on Apple Podcasts. The creature this week is Mouse Deer from Indonesian folklore. Now, a mouse deer is a real animal, a chevroting. They're little deer-looking creatures about the size and weight of a house cat. They don't have antlers. I posted a picture of them on the site. The mouse deer creature, though, is a stone-cold killer. Unlike many of the creatures of the week, though, it's not an intentional killer, which might make it worse, maybe better, we'll talk about that at the end. One day, the mouse deer was dancing in the forest. It had to be adorable just trotting along on its little hooves, bopping to the beat of a drum far away. But it was objectively less adorable when it stepped on Otter's child and killed him. The Otter burst into the clearing and demanded to know what happened. And Mouse Deer said it heard war drums, that's why it was dancing. The woodpecker pecked the war drum because he saw Gecko with a sword. Gecko had his sword because Turtle was in a shell. Turtle was like that because Crab had his trident, which crabs have, I guess. And Crab was armed because River Shrimp was carrying a spear. Why? Well, because Otter was about to eat his children. Naturally, all the animals went to King Solomon, who I guess was on vacation in Indonesia, who declared the mouse deer blameless. The real blame was on Otter, who started everything. Now, there's an interesting ethical question here about who's responsible in this situation. The person who accidentally injured someone or the one who, committing an actual thwarted crime, set off a Rube Goldberg-esque series of events that led to an actual injury. We're not going to talk about that, though, with the real lesson being just clear out all the otter children from the dance floor, and then just go nuts. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.